0: everybody and welcome back to another episode of the .NET on AWS show. My name is Brandon Minnick and joined with me as always is my amazing
1: co-host Francois. Francois, how was your week? Hello everyone. Um, my week was uh, awesome and um, I'm heading to, toward my next week because um, this week I'm joining the bus. I, I don't know if you've heard about this but AWS is on tour this week in Europe. So we have a bus, um, an awesome bus. With uh, It's amazing. And we are going through nine cities. So today they are in London. Uh, on Wednesday, they are coming in Paris, uh, the city where I'm living. And I can't uh, wait to, to join them. And then we, we will go through Brussels, Amsterdam, uh, Frankfurt, Zurich, Milan. Uh, Lyon, and Barcelona. So it's for each day you have a free one-day conference uh, with people from service teams. So people who design AWS uh, services and also developer advocates, solution architects. We will be uh, there to um, teach you uh, and show you all the good things we have for developers uh, from uh, toolkits for, for, from the AWS toolkit that you can install in your ID to uh, AI services, to uh, Amazon Code Catalyst, or uh, software factory. So we, we have many, many things. And we will also, uh, of course, discuss generative AI topics because it's a very hot topic uh, in the developer community right now. And we will try to get hands-on with uh, generative AI to, to demystify a little bit all, all, all this buzz because a lot of people... Uh, talk about generative AI, but as developer, my, my, my main question is if okay, that's fine. But oh, I, I can use it this in my application. So we will discuss all these this during the AWS on tour. So it's coming. You can join on on this URL here, just there, and we we can't wait to to see you uh, in person. Yeah, and that's awsontour.splashthat.com
0: where you can sign up to join for free and. We already have Francois in the comments. Says AWS bus. <laughs> so, did we really rent a bus? Is this like a like when the Rolling Stones yes. go on tour and they get a
1: cool tour bus? So that's exactly what we did. We we have a bus. It's a double deck bus and with a, a coach uh, in it. Um, so yes, um, we don't drive, we, we have a driver, so we are, we are safe. Uh, otherwise, uh, probably I, I'm unsure if I would have stressed my colleague to, to drive those these. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. Or just, I feel like I would be exhausted after spending all day talking about AWS, then to jump behind a wheel and drive for <laughs> six, eight hours. That, that'd be a long day, but Super exciting. So glad to hear you're doing that. And yeah, of course, if you're listening, if you're watching and you're in nearby somewhere in in Europe, uh, come out and join us. And I think the other big announcement this week is we've got an, an audio podcast. So it's the same show you know and love. But if you haven't been able to join us live or maybe watching the videos is tough, you prefer to listen to the tranquil sounds of Brandon and Francois while you're driving, you can do that now. Uh, You can find us on any of the major podcasting platforms for the .NET on the AWS show. And so we're going to be keeping the same format, but we wanted to share it as an audio podcast um, to be able to reach more people, allow more people to hang out with us and consume the content as well. Because yeah, joining live on Twitch can be kind of tough or even just Scheduling time to watch videos. I know for me personally, I try to watch stuff on planes and catch up when I travel, but now you don't have to worry about that. Download the AWS on the dot net on AWS show podcast, and you can listen to us wherever you want. Well, Francois, we have uh, such an amazing guest and so much to talk about today. So I don't want to delay him any further. Daniel, hey. welcome to the show. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> uh- Uh, Welcome! Woohoo! Thanks for having me. Daniel, yeah, thanks so much for joining us today. For anybody who's never met you before, who are you and what do you do? Well, um, that's what I ask myself every day as
2: well, so (laughs) 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 hopefully we can explore it together. (laughs) uh, Well, I'm Daniel Marbach, so I'm a native uh, Swiss German. I live in central Switzerland. Uh, in a town called uh, Kriens, which is next to Lucerne. And we have a beautiful mountain called Mount Pilatus. Uh, I have a son. He's uh, ten years old now, in fifth grade of primary school. I just told this uh, for before the show. He's now learning French, and I'm trying to sort of uh, uh, helping him with my past experience in learning French. So, but I guess I do a better job uh, right now in in uh, s- talking to everyone in 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 English. Uh, but I work at a company called Particular Software, and uh, we have basically a distributed systems uh, platform that helps people to sort of build mission critical uh, complex distributed systems primarily based on sort of messaging infrastructure and yeah i i basically what i do there is um, everything from sort of hardcore engineering towards sort of a pre-sale solution architecture as well as um, writing documentation talking about the products i really don't like to be sort of shoehorned into a box and uh, sort of labeled as he's an engineer, he's a solution architect. Uh, so, because I, I feel like there is so many things that you can explore in uh, in the context of distributed system and messaging, that I I would li- I would like to also have sort of different things that I chuckle throughout the day, and that has been uh, sort of possible uh, at uh, particular software
0: so far. Yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah, so cool and. And very much appreciate you coming on the show. Um, you were actually recommended to us by former guest of the show, uh, Layla. Uh, do you do you work with Layla at Particular?
2: Correct. Yeah. So uh, Layla and I we we work together uh, on various sort of assignments uh, for Particular Software throughout uh, the years since she has been uh working for a particular software i'm uh, i'm a bit longer around but that that doesn't mean anything uh, it's usually it's pro- probably usually the uh, the other way around right the fresh people bring the the different perspective <laughs> the grumpy people like me are just uh, <laughs> just like uh, making making the other people facepalm so i guess Lila has facepalmed uh, quite a few times no i mean um, we we work together we also sort of are sort of doing similar activities. She likes to uh, speak about uh, things, distributed systems, messaging, open telemetry. I personally also speak quite a lot about sort of messaging, service boss, uh Azure-related things, and also anything in between sort of async await like you, Brandon, as well as uh, <laughs> sort of performance optimizations in .NET. Anything that I'm at the moment passionate about when the conference season is and i try to talk about the things that i have basically practical application throughout my day job and then hopefully give it sort of a a nice twist for the people so that they can understand it through the lenses of uh, of myself uh, so yeah that's sort of my my angle where where i do talks so,
0: yeah yeah and speaking of which um so you've You've shared with us a, a bunch of things we want to chat about today. And to be honest, yeah. Dan, we'll probably have to have you back on the show, which I can't wait because uh, <laughs> we have so much to talk about. But yeah, you mentioned uh, your conference talks. And mm-hmm. I have here your NDC Oslo talk on performance tricks I learned from con- contributing to open source.NET packages. Yeah, what a Holy monster, cow! right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're we to yeah, start
0: so- with that. So, what, what open source.NET packages? Okay. So, uh, well,
2: essentially uh, one of the things that uh, I I consider myself a a practical learner, I have invented that term. I'm not even sure if it's an official term, but essentially one of the things that I I suffer from is that whenever I read a book or when I go sort of online documentation about things, I I kind of feel like I have it figured out once I read it, right? But then when I'm sitting in front of the computer trying to sort of try it out, what I just read, I, I realize that I'm I'm basically in sort of the, the children's shoes and I don't know what, <laughs> what I'm doing here, right? So I have to basically go through the, sort of the trial and error process of applying things. And usually when I do this, I learn tons of things about the technology, about sort of my learning patterns. And then what I do is I try to sort of condense that knowledge that I gain from that into a talk because I feel like I'm probably not the only one that's, uh, that has to go through this very intense sort of <laughs> exercise of, of learning things that that's what i've done with the with the talk that you just mentioned essentially what i've been doing for the for the past few years i've been contributing sort of in my free time whatever free time means in the remote working days right i've yeah. been <laughs> i've been <laughs> i've been contributing to various open source projects and one of the primary thing that i did was i uh, contributed a lot to the azure.net sdk um, which is sort of the uh the, the driver for to speak to all sort of um, Azure services, and one of the things that I, I've done basically there was that whenever I learn a new technology, right? I also start, for example, with Azure Service Bus. I was learning Azure Service Bus. I was lor- learning Azure Storage Queues. I sort of cloned the repository and sort of opened the Azure Service Bus code, looked at it it Again, it's like, oh, I don't understand it, but then I sort of started sort of exploring <laughs> the code base. And my sort of attitude is whenever I see something that I feel like, hmm, why is this this way? I sort of contribute it. So it's uh, like, oh, maybe this is a better approach. So, so for example, and you might, you might like to hear this, right? So my first contribution to the Azure, um, .NET SDK was I was uh, opening the repository and saw there's, they're missing configure. Away. It false, right? And oh, I was no. like, oh, <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> so knowing what I know about basic await, I basically started sort of, uh, it's like, okay, let's add a few configure await files, sent in, and there is my first pull request, right? The team was grateful about it. And that's how I sort of explore uh, technologies and learn. And then lo and behold, I'm basically now at 90 different pull requests against the the ash.net SDK and um one of the team members of the messaging has sort of secretly called me the sort of uh, the nth member of the team that is not getting paid. <laughs> I'm not sure if I should yeah. be proud yeah. or if yeah. I should yeah. just basically send an invoice to Microsoft. I don't know. Uh, no, <laughs> no. but I, to be honest, I do this for fun, right? So I, I, Because I always learn a ton and by, by doing so. And actually that's um, how I sort of I did a lot of performance improvements there and some of those have essentially so for example i did re i did a partition key hashing algorithm improvement for the event hubs and that one is basically used 30 to 40 percent on the hot path and by just by tweaking that algorithm essentially and also doing some other stuff they got sort of an eight percent um, throughput improvement on the .NET sdk so for event hubs which is kind of cool when you look at it sort of how these sort of micro optimizations if you do many of those sort of end up making a real impact right and who like i said in my also talk who wouldn't want to have an eight percent faster car just for free
0: by doing a software update right it's like yeah it's awesome absolutely yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. on the behalf of the dana community i mean thank you um that's yeah, yeah. one of one of my mantras is always try to leave it better than you found it. Um, and yes, I, I'll do the same thing. Um, yeah, like if I'm using an SDK and just like, why, why is this implemented like this? Uh, mm-hmm. like this doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel right. This isn't intuitive to me, at least. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll try to <laughs> submit a mm-hmm. uh, proposal this and- request.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's doing the yeah. same thing with my code. He's doing the same thing with ah. my code. <laughs>
0: That's true. I owe I, a I, Francois pull request. Uh, we were we were actually together last week. Our team met in Seattle and Francois was showing off some code. I was like, oh man, like you gotta refactor that. Use some like refit if if everybody knows what refit is and mm-hmm. IHTP client factory and get all those goodies in there. Um but of course I spent two hours working on it. Got it mostly working, but also broke it. So <laughs> easier but, said than done. But that's a good thing about the pull
2: request, right? You could just upload then and then hope it gets picked up by someone else. No, to be honest, I, I try <laughs> to I try to be very professional about my pull requests, but um it's always a fine balance, especially because when you're doing that in your free time. I, I must confess there were sort of Periods in my life where I sort of I was sitting at home in front of the TV, and then I, sort of, I quickly opened sort of the GitHub notification page. and I saw, oh, someone from the AWS team made a comment on my pull request, and then you open it. And then an hour later, you're sort of no longer watching the 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 Netflix show <laughs> or the, the Amazon Prime show, and you're completely immersed in something else. And then whenever my wife talks to me, it's like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm yeah. hmm. And then she's, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she's very patient with me to be honest so uh,
0: yeah we live it's actually live very similar lives <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had that same scenario many times
2: you're also a dot uh, maui contributor right have you i thought you're also you using, using maui quite because i, I remember one of the yep. first contributions to the, to .Net maui was when i was sitting in a in a talk someone talking about maui and then i was like he showed me sort of the uh, uh, the service locator to open up um uh, in scopes windows or something like that and i looked as i just like cloned the code i was like oh they're they have lots of unnecessary allocations and then i just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i changed that code and it's actually funny because lila uh who was also a guest in the show like you said right she actually made a Made a t-shirt for me. Um, uh, it uses sort of the sixth sense. I see dead. uh, I see, I see dead people. And she made it for me with sort of that picture. And this is, I see closure allocations because I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was seeing so, uh, so, uh, so many cl- allocations, the closure allocations everywhere that was fixing. And, uh, yeah, the, the sort of mini contributions to different destinations And as a matter of fact, one of my first contributions, I think, wasn't even to the, Ash.net SDK. I think it was to the AWS.net SDK because I I remember I was doing some work around um, SQS um, at that time because we were sort of trying to adopt a, a community version of an SQS integration into um, NService Bus and uh, at particular software. And I was like, hmm, what is this SDK? So I cloned it and I looked at the code. It's like, oh, this looks, everything looks generated. And then I was like, Hmm. <laughs> and then I saw that they're using sort of a singleton pattern, but they weren't using it consistently that caused sort of allocations on one side of sort of the request path. And then I basically ended up sort of opening the generator of the of the AWS.net SDK. And then I fixed the generator. And then I was sending in a pull request, which basically changed every service definition in the SDK. And I was like, hmm, wow. maybe that's not a good start to to, to earn the trust <laughs> of the team. But
0: uh, it, it sounds like it yeah. worked. Did it get approved? Did it get merged?
2: Uh, it actually did. Did get approved? Yeah. So I must I, I say that I've been. Um, so I, I talked to Norm uh, Johansson. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I I, I to him a lot over Twitter direct messages and some other channels. I'd. T- Uh, calls with him because i i wanted to sort of share my background why these contributions are coming in and to also sort of continuously exchange knowledge uh, between the team and the works that i'm doing because i feel like it's usually valuable on both sides of uh, of of the spectrum right we learn a ton about sort of what customers are using the AWS, nest, uh, AWS the Net SDK and how they're using their services, and they learn a ton about how our customers are using it. So I, I feel it's to me it's very natural that that sort of information can flow. Of course, in an NDA approved context, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we have to
2: be careful; otherwise, the law, the lawyers will jump at us. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> for,
1: for, for, just to, for those who don't know who his norm Norm Johnson is, our .net guru at AWS. So for all things related to .net, you can go to Norm and ask a question, and it's it will be it is unlikely he don't he doesn't know. So it's yeah, our yeah. .net guru. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I've actually just I think it was like three or four days ago. I was I I sort of gave norm uh, a warning because i <laughs> i was looking at some of the <laughs> uh, some of the utility classes in the um, in the aws.net sdk and i saw that there's like many issues with sort of allocations and i essentially went ahead and sort of contributed a, a, a string builder optimization a value string builder approach and that has already sort of led to sort of um uh, 80% uh, allocation improvements on the hot path uh, but and the the progress wow. hasn't been merged yet because um uh, of course um uh, knowing what i know now about the aws the aws sdk and how largely it's being used also uh, sort of in very closed environments where dukeet uh, servers or another thing and everything like that right i i there's still some work that i have to do to make sure that sort of um I'm not breaking .net 3.5 and 4.5 sort of um usages Ooh. of things and that is usually the hard part of these contributions right so uh, being professional even though it's your free time and then fully follow through and making sure that things are actually working across the board uh, yeah but the teams have been very kind so far to sort of um, help me out and um get get things pushed through so
1: I guess I consider myself very lucky <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and what you mentioned is sometimes one of the reason uh people are waiting for some feature in the net SDK because the team pay a deep attention to ensure that uh there is no breaking changes um that will break backward compatibility so mm-hmm. um sometimes yeah it's it sometimes it takes some time because they, they pay a deep attention to these two to support mm. all our customers so that's a very mm. good point mm. you can really
2: see the leadership principles going also into the sdk side of things right the customer obsession part and that uh, those things don't ask me why i know <laughs> 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 uh, no that no that's uh that's uh, and I think that's also what customers like about these the these side of things yeah so
0: yep yeah it's very, very impressive, um, and probably not a lot of people know know that that. Um, so these these SDKs, yeah, a lot of times they're they're auto generated. Um, mm-hmm. So like Daniel mentioned, he had to edit the generator because um, mm-hmm. I've made that mistake before, where I've submitted the pull request and I edit the code only to see that pull request just get co- closed because all this code is auto generated. So. Mm-hmm. Thanks, but <laughs> you could, you could like we can commit these changes, but they'll just be overwritten um, next time the generator runs. And that's something that I'll say embarrassingly took me a long time to learn because you know, we all assume that um, uh, you know these big companies, Microsoft, Amazon, they've got the best, and the uh, they've got a team of .NET engineers making these SDKs, and in reality. A lot of times it the SDK is written in one language and then essentially translated, uh ported to other languages. So it might be written in Python and then it gets ported from Python to C sharp. And sometimes you'll have a really smart Python engineer making the dot net SDK. And so yeah, when we see things, when we're using a library and it doesn't feel right, you're you're probably right. (laughs) because mm-hmm. it might be the python way of doing things and mm-hmm. so yeah it's always best to jump in and just say hey you know it feels really natural if we do it like this how come we're not doing it like this mm. um because we can some things will get lost in that translation and so yeah incredible that you're able to <laughs> not only do that but also figure out because that's going to have layers to it with with generators mm. generating code, it's mm. I'm I'm very impressed. <laughs>
2: so, so, one of the things I mean, I was lucky enough that I was basically a part on both ends. I was a I was a maintainer of some open source projects as well. So, for example, I was a maintainer for machine specifications. I was a maintainer for public API generator, and a few other sort of open source libraries. And and I'm I contribute to open source projects. So. Having been on both sides, i actually um I learned that it's very important to be patient on both sides of the spectrums and to sort of to always assume that maybe you have misunderstood something and ask nicely because those people as a as a maintainer you're constantly under sort of stress and you're you're trying to chug multiple balls and and stuff like that. And, and as well as as a contributor, you're just trying to get something fixed, but they have to take into account sort of the whole sort of context of the library decision and the roadmap where they're going, right? So it's it's not it's not a good never a good sign to just show up and say, but this is obviously r- wrong. You should be doing it this or that way. <laughs> super important to sort of um, always sort of explain where you're coming from and your context and then sort of ask, so what you think about this? And for example, that's why also I try to, when I contribute to the AWS.NET SDK, I try to sort of, if it's cheap from a code perspective, I try to sort of open a pull request as a discussion, right? And then I totally expect... That this pull request might be even close because the team says you know you know that's not how we want to do it but i gain insights by by doing that and then i try to sort of incorporate that learning and then do an next iteration of it so because at the beginning i was kind of hung up when Pull requests got closed, but then I realized that's that's just normal. You can't be sort of successful all the time. And uh, sometimes when they look at your changes, they also realize, well, actually, that's a very interesting point. You haven't even thought uh-huh. about it, and we first have to sort of understand the context around that. And that's something that I'm 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 always sort of trying to do in my professional life as well in the open source contributions, trying to to be to be nice and to understand the context and then sort of uh, bring that forward because it's so easy to just to to fall into sort of habits to say you know what have they done why it's like but i mean why that might be your first natural reaction i try to sort of stop that from from occupy my mind and then move forward and i think that's maybe also one of the one of the key principles that got me even got all got some of those pull requests uh, sort of emerged but i mean the azure.net sdk i don't know how many there are but in from the 90 pull requests probably 20 or 25 have been closed right it's like that that's not what we want and sometimes i was very passionate about the feature (laughs) and i tried to argue for it but then it's like yeah that's part of the part of the game i guess yeah
0: yeah and it's I've, I've, I've also been on both sides of that and and it's tough. It's tough on both sides. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I run the the .NET MAUI Community Toolkit library and I've, I've tried to set it up in such a way that the structure of the repo will nudge you towards um, starting a discussion first before submitting that pull request or mm-hmm. s- before opening a proposal for a new feature um, because yeah, it's, it's just the worst as a as an open source maintainer to have to close somebody else's pull request mm, because yeah. you know how much time they put into it. They had to not only write the code, but they had to learn your architecture and your repository. And, you know, we've got little checkboxes that say, like, you've read our contributing guidelines and you agree to our... So there's yeah. there's a lot but of I'm work here with I can to.
2: <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and And, yeah, it's the worst when we have to close somebody's PR, but... But like you said, Daniel, you know, we just closed one last week and it wasn't that that there was anything wrong with it, Um, but it was just like, it's like, yeah, you know, this feature works great, but it's only for iOS and we're kind of, we'd be opening up the floodgates a little bit. And so our compromise was we added it to our docs. So instead of necessarily hard coding it in for every user of our library, we wrote in our docs, we gave the little uh, code snippet that would have been merged into the code base mm. and said hey if you're using in this case it was our media element players so if you're streaming video and on ios if you want them to ignore that mute switch on the side that uh, uh, then add these lines of code uh, mm. but, but yeah we always recommend folks start with we've got a discussions tab on our github repo um, so if there's an idea you have start chatting about it there because nothing's worse than Spending all this time writing that code, um, only for it to get closed, but it always is a learning experience on both sides. So mm. don't, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't be yeah. deterred. Because um, yeah, I love that. You're, like you said, Daniel, your your good ideas. Even if the PR is closed, we still we're thinking about those now, and <laughs> we're yes, we're, yeah, we're gonna implement something similar where we can, <laughs> but. Yeah, it is tough, yeah. um, managing multiple frameworks and versions and platforms. And, uh, yeah. sometimes we did it on purpose. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, what might what... feel like a bug to you is like, no, we have to throw an exception here because of all these other reasons. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, we it could throw awesome. the exception and <laughs> it would work huh. for your specific use case, but then we'd have a lot of confused and angry developers mm-hmm. elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, I mean, what we also sometimes
2: tend to forget is that, like, I mean, writing the code is, I mean, well, while, it, while it's effort, uh, sort of, some of these projects they have a very, very long, sort of, uh, life cycle time, right? The AWS.NET yeah. SDK, it still has .NET three point five code in there, right? That the, the team has to maintain, right? So that's <laughs> that's like, wow. And then if you think about it, it's like, well, you. Uh, you hand over a pull request, it gets merged. I mean, you're no longer responsible for that sort of code, right? So, for, for example, once I, I made some performance optimizations, and I'm going to use air quotes here, right, in the, <laughs> oh, the <no>. uh, Azure.net <laughs> SDK, and I proved that it, it's actually working, but I did actually break um, uh, sort of the code path for some end in this system on, on the other 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 hand, even though the team approved it, but we only found it out like a few weeks later. And luckily, it hasn't been shipped yet. So we found it out early enough. But because otherwise, I would have been responsible, uh, in air quotes again, sort of for <laughs> breaking for a certain indian type system. I would have been. Uh, breaking the code path there, right? and It's like, but I'm not because it's like the team owns it. The t- team pushes it forward, and and it was a very sort of collaborative approach to then sort of uh, fix it. And they pinged me and said, "Hey, we discovered this." Of course, I felt responsible to also help and contribute because again, I learned a ton. <laughs> recapping sort of this the the university stuff about endiness and trying to remember what it is again. <laughs> uh, it's uh, oh, yeah. kind of funny, yeah. It's Basically, an wow.
0: always learning experience. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I know you've uh, you've brought some examples to share. Uh, yeah, you want to dig into some code, dig in some open source projects. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I so I I can uh, before yeah cool so. Yeah, I can just sort of quickly, um, well, this these are sort of the uh, what I'm sharing on my screen is I'm sharing currently uh, the Azure.NET SDK uh, repository with my contributions. And if you're just curious, I'm now switching over to the tab that where you can see this is the, the pull request I talked about, about the value string builder was, was opened recently. And uh, I'm always, when I'm doing sort of pull requests, I'm always sort of trying to sort of also add, scrolling down now, as you can see, there's like a benchmark. That essentially shows sort of what the value add the team would get if they're sort of uh, merging this pull request. and that's- but for example, as this one, since this is in the AWS.NET uh, SDK utility, um, um, it is a, a core sort of class that gets used everywhere across the SDK. You can see that I'm basically saving, uh, I'm getting 11% more throughput on the hot path and I'm sort of saving, I'm falling down from 3,100 uh, bytes down to 600 bytes of allocations on the hot path to basically also sort of demonstrate, hey, look, this is why you probably want to take in the complexity of the the code and I've done that not just for this I've also sort of recently been in my work I've been sort of um, uh, using DynamoDB and starting to use that and we were sort of trying to write the persistence uh, for DynamoDB Um, I'm not sure if the listeners that are listening know DynamoDB, but it's some people call it a key value store, which is a massive understatement. Never call DynamoDB <laughs> a key value store because it's an extremely highly scalable uh, NoSQL uh, database that has lots and lots of features. And As far as I remember, I think uh, 2000 and, uh, in uh, 2020, uh, so essentially Amazon Prime Day, was like running like full steam on uh, on Dynamo DB and the, the numbers that it sort of crunched out was was Im- it was impressive. They got 60 trillion calls of DynamoDB DB and uh, over uh, 66 hours and that ended up being 80 million requests per second, which is like insane, Ooh. right? It's like a, it's like wow. And now I was looking at Dynamo DB and we wanted to write a persistence for end service bus and the end service bus. What is it sort of a, I'm going to show that it's a, it's a, it's a messaging uh, framework that sort of um, allows you to sort of uh, write uh, in sort of very, sorry, let me just share the, uh, the other parts. Uh, So this, this one. So uh, I brought here sort of an, um, an, an end service bus, Lambda, DynamoDB, SQS, SNS sample just to, to, to demonstrate, uh, what end service bus can do. So, so for example, <clears throat> here, uh, what we can see on my screen is, uh, I have sort of an, an endpoint, uh, that, uh, can sort of, uh, is connected to SQS. And that's the SQS transport. And then you can start that one. And then you can so- just send messages into AWS. And then on the receiving end, uh, essentially, what we have is we have a lambda function, and you can see here that's a sort of a lambda function that uh, I've set up using sort of the system text JSON serializer, and it's using DynamoDB persistence. And what that means is I'm essentially telling bus by the way, connect uh, whenever a message comes in, and that's down here uh, from from Lambda an SQS event, call this processing thing, and then. Essentially, whenever someone wants to store data, I store it into DynamoDB, and um, I can even deploy this uh, quickly to just um, demonstrate how this works. Um, so here, I have um, on this end, I have here the uh, the sorry, this is the console, so this one. Uh, I'm using here the .NET Lambda toolkit uh, uh, to do a serverless uh, deploy, and I can basically just say, hey. Just uh, deploy this to AWS, and then it builds it. It's gonna take a while, right? And uh, while this is doing the deployment, um, I, I can walk through the code, and hopefully, if the demo gods are with me, with me, then uh, <laughs> everything should be working. Now it's deploying this uh, as a sort of a CloudFormation stack. It will be sort of uh, using SQS, SNS, DynamoDB, and it will deploy a Lambda the one that we just uh, briefly uh, looked uh, looked at, it will deploy error queues and, and everything like that. And then uh, once we are back in the code, so that, that's essentially the, the thing that is doing the processing. And now what, uh, what we can do here is, uh, so for example, um, um, in here, um, I, I have sort of different, uh, handlers, uh, that, that I can hook up. And, um, for example, there is this sort of stage inventory handler. Whenever an order is received, I can basically just declare, and that's sort of the terminology events of response that I want to handle a message that comes from SNS or SQS. And then I could just write my code. I don't have to deal with anything like the SDK or anything like that. It's just abstracted, uh, away from, from me, right? And that's sort of hooked up, uh, to Lambda. And then what I can also do is Enterprise Bus has sort of the stateful message handlers. Uh, we call them sagas. Uh, some people call them, uh, process uh, managers and there are different terminologies. I don't want to start the religious war about these terminologies because I know that there's quite a the heat debate <laughs> sort of, uh, uh, about those, but uh, I'm just going to show you one. So essentially this is, um, this is a class. We call it order saga or order policy, and it gets started whenever a place order command comes into the system. And uh, what I can do is essentially I can sort of uh, define a mapping, and I can say, hey, whenever the same order ID comes in, then this is gonna get handled by by this specific saga instance, right? So for order forty two all the events that are sort of correlated to order 42 will automatically be mapped to that order 42 instance saga. Um, and that's all the magic you have to do. And by the way, this is now sort of mapped to Dynamo DB, So we're automatically doing sort of the necessary uh, persistence infrastructure, uh, storing it in DynamoDB, efficiently loading it from DynamoDB and stuff like that. So, um, the, Or if people want to use Aurora or, uh, or some other SQL uh, database, they can basically just flip a configuration flag and then the data will yeah. be stored in a relational database. And then you can, again, sort of focus on just sort of declaring um, sort of your business logic, right? So When a place order comes in, you can basically say, well, there is a business SLA because if we cannot fulfill the order within here, of course, for demo purposes, in eight seconds, then we're going, uh, then we're going to sort of uh, get an order delayed, and in the meantime, we're basically saying, hey, an order has been received, so we publicize that into the system here with the publish, and then essentially, when the order should be delayed, right? What we can essentially do is, we're getting calls by the infrastructure um, automatically, um, and, and then. When the saga has not been completed because we fulfilled the order, right? Then sort of this sort of event will, uh, this event handler will be called and we are getting the timeout in, in eight seconds. And then we sort of publish sort of the order delayed event that then is, for example, here in this very simple example is then handled by the client UI. And then what we're doing is we're basically calculating sort of a voucher code, uh, 10% or whatever that is, reduction on sort of uh, the next order out of the sort of order value as an example for a business logic that you could, for example, ship out uh, to customers and say, hey, I'm sending you an email. We're really sorry for the inconvenience. The order has been delayed. Uh, we're doing our best to fulfill it, but to make you a very happy customer, here's sort of a voucher code, right? And as you as you can see, this is sort of all sort of abstracted away and and we can then sort of, I'm going to show this to you now in the console application here. Um, I'm going to open up the so the, the, the Lambda is now deployed um, on my sort of uh, AWS account. And now I can sort of start the client UI. And of course, because I'm a, the best UI developer ever, right? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's using the latest, uh, react js magic no okay <laughs> of course now i'm just using a console <laughs> application <I'm> a probably <laughs> so as you can see now i can just sort of um uh, do order placed events and they will be processed right and now when we when we go to um aws what we can see here is if we're going uh, to look at uh, DynamoDeep dynamo as an example uh we can explore the table items and this is probably way too small For now, Um, let me just zoom out a
1: little bit. While you are booming, for those who are uh, hearing us uh, in the podcast, Daniel is in the AWS console right now, uh, navigating to Mm -hmm. the DynamoDB console. Uh, And of course, if you want to see what he is doing, you can always um, go and uh, look at the record of the show uh, later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you very much, uh,
2: François. I forgot that, even though branch amended it. Thanks for compensating for for that one. Yes, yeah, so I'm basically showing sort of the DynamoDB uh, table explorer, and in there, I'm now uh, sort of I can I can sort of click on, so for example, a DynamoDB uh, item, and I see this is the the order saga that I talked about. That is essentially a class that defines the business logic and sort of the stateful information for an order that is now stored and visibly on my screen in DynamoDB. And as we can see, there's a bunch of sort of metadata that answer stores, but there is also uh, other information like whether the inventory was staged or not, or whether the customer was already built. So it essentially represents uh, on DynamoDB uh, the state of the business process of sort of accepting an order, shipping an order, billing the customer and everything um, like that. And um, once once sort of these sagas are completed, because here we're essentially doing a dynamic state right when the sort of the business process is completed we don't need to store that state so now i refreshed sort of the the table explorer and now all the saga data that's previously shown is now gone because we have sort of the temporary business process state is no longer necessary and then when i switch over to the demo what we can see is uh, on my screen now the console output and in that console output we can actually see how um, some of the orders, um, well, all of the orders have been shipped because we're we're using reliable messaging, right? But some of the orders got delayed because of my clever usage of random next. um, um, (laughs) 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 Faking the business process, right? And then essentially the client application that is running outside of Lambda in this example um, got then sort of that order delayed event and can basically react to that event. And here I'm just basically giving away a coupon code uh, to get 10% off the next uh, order as a as an example, right? So, um, yeah. Really, that really is, uh, cool. Uh,
0: but Before I forget, um, can we grab a link uh, I'd love to share? I assume this is all open source given yes. your background. so. Yeah, if you have a link we can share in the comments. Because uh, this is really, really cool. And yes, the, the indeed, question right. I have for you is, yep. What because this code is was well, say like simple, straightforward, and I mean those all as compliments in the best way is as good code should be. Um, but what what would it look like if we say maybe we weren't using in service bus? Like how much mm-hmm. extra yeah. code would we have to write to do this mm-hmm. implementation?
2: Mm. Okay, yeah, so that's that's a very good uh, good good question. Um so it it really depends on sort of which part of sort of the technology stack you're focusing on, right? So, um, so let's say if you're essentially just sending um, a message to uh, to SQS, that's uh, pretty straightforward. It's a it's a one liner in the SDK, right? Um, well, well, it's a one liner by calling the SDK, but then usually. That's actually not all that you have to think about, right? Because you have to serialize it. So just like another line to use system text JSON, right? And then it's like most developers are sort of ending there. It's like, yeah, it's super straightforward. It's two lines of code. But in reality, what's actually happening is, so for example, if if you receive the message and as sort of a, the next thing that you uh, want to do is send out a message. You have to correlate, right? So that means you have to somewhere store mm. message headers. And then the question is, where do you store message headers? And then you have to deal with limitations around SQS allows you to store 256 KB. Azure Storage Queues allows you to store 64 KB. Azure Service Bus allows you to store, uh, depending on the tier, uh, up to 100 megabytes, right? So there's like all sorts of these technology-specific trade-offs that you need to make. And the sending part is usually not the most complex part. It's more sort of the receiving a message, correlating messaging, spawning up the open telemetry traces and all that types of thing, then making sure the transactionality is actually in place. So for example, what um, End of Boss here also provides with DynamoDB as well is we implement the transactional outbox pattern. And what this essentially gives you as sort of a guarantee is that, um, um, for, is that when, when you do two things at the same time, when you essentially sending out messages and when, when you're storing business information like I did with the order saga, right? there are always two failure scenarios that can happen, right? And the old people <laughs> that have gray beard like I have, they understand the DTC or have heard about distributed transactions, right? And people that are more cloud native know that you should probably not do distributed transactions in the cloud. That's probably not such a good idea because it's a very expensive process and um, or sometimes not even supported, uh, right? So, And the transactional outbox pattern allows you to sort of reliably um um, sort of mutate business state as well as sending out, uh, messages to your favorite, uh, system, whether that be SQS, SNS, um, Azure Service Bus or on premise SQL Server, whatever that is, right? Um, you can essentially reliably do that without having to fall back to distributed transactions. And that is some, for example, something that people would also have to build. And if you're interested, um, I'm not sure if the time permits, but I could even show you another demo where um, uh, i can show sort of the integration layer between uh, the dynamo db uh, the business code, um, because we're essentially uh, providing sort of um, a functionality where when you're using the native sdk there's this dynamo db context i'm not sure if you heard about this which is sort of a, a sort of object relational mapper right that allows you to sort of retrieve Messages uh, or sorry, data uh, from DynamoDB, and then it manages some state, and then it allows you to mutate the state. and And at the time when uh, I was sort of uh, doing the DynamoDB integration, I looked at that um, uh, mapper, and again, here comes the open source part in, into play. And I saw that sort of the DynamoDB context in the SDK has lots of assumptions around how it's going to be used, and it's also a bit allocation heavy, and it also had, uses sync of racing for, for legacy reasons and some parts, which by the way, the team is addressing. They're doing an awesome job <laughs> uh, to do that. Um, I don't want to say anything anything negative, right? But I was talking to Norm and said, hey, look, we have this sort of, um, uh, sort of problem. We want to sort of provide this transactional outbox pattern to our customers, but the SDK assumes too many things that should be in place, which is actually, pulling down our performance. And it at that time, it didn't allow transactional rights against DynamoDB. And um, I've sort of implemented sort of a, an open source approach of sort of mapping objects that are coming from the .NET world uh, towards the DynamoDB JSON format, right? Because it's a very specific JSON format using System Text JSON. That approach is two and a half to three times faster for example, than the native SDK approach. And so sort of everyone that uses sort of Azure Service Bus gets it also uh, sort of uh, for free. Um, And then what they get is essentially atomic guarantees between their business rights and their SQS uh, integration, which is very, very, very tricky to achieve if you're sort of custom writing to answer your question finally, right? Uh, (laughs) Custom writing all that stuff on top of, of the SDK because... That part really means that you have to think carefully about every placing of lines of code in every position. It's like, okay, what happens if we're losing connectivity on this specific line of the code? And then what is, what are the consequences of this? And can there be um, ghost messages occurring, so messages going out where they shouldn't be going out, or can there be phantom records in the database, which then, with unique key constraints and whatnot, creates all sorts of problems down the line of your system, right? And sort of from a sort of contextual uh, uh, problem perspective, answer Response takes care of these things on top of the on top of the SDK um,
0: and so many other things as well. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's incredible. I mean, I'm I'm totally sold. I don't see why you wouldn't want <laughs> oh, to use it uh, <laughs> but uh, I do have a question for you because it sounds like one of the cool things and service bus allows you to do is abstract away you know when we when we write our code for the cloud, um, there's always that concern that we're going to get locked in, and it sounds like if we write our code using and service bus, then we could leverage we could do something where we could do multi cloud for example, where we have yeah. Uh, one cloud backing up another cloud, or we just didn't want to get locked in. Um, yes. We always wanted to keep the options open, and so mm-hmm. there's not only the benefit of all the all the scary things <laughs> you just described that could go wrong that we'd have to manually worry about, um, but I think it also opens up that door, that opportunity to keep your code more flexible, which is which is always good. Uh, you know, there's. Uh, Good things and bad things <laughs> about uh, yeah. cloud nowadays, and um yeah, one is always that concern of getting locked in and mm. and keeping the code flexible, so yeah love that. Not, even, um,
2: not even just locked in its like for example, I'm not sure if you know that, but for Azure service bus specifically the one of the most requested feature on on the, sort of their user voice is actually having a local emulator for uh, Azure service bus running in Docker right. And so, for example, someone that is, um wants to sort of have something that is e- locally easily to just like F5 debug. So, for example, events and response is literally just one line of code where you switch, and we call it the learning transport and learning persistence, and poof, DynamoDB is gone, SQS is gone, and you have everything sort of locally. Uh, you can step through the code. It have has similar reliability guarantees, and there's essentially... Nothing to worry about, or if, for example, in acceptance testing environments where or, or sorry in in c i c d environments, you might be saying, well, we want to have some tests that go against the real service because that I always recommend that, but there there might be certain scenarios where you're saying, well, for efficiency reasons um, because we want fast feedback for the tests, so for example, you could swap out the transport with something that can run locally on c i c d is much faster. Maybe and then you can, uh, for example, use the file-based transport that we provide, and then you can run a certain set of your sort of integration tests against that, and then that problem is also gone. It's not just sort of multi-cloud uh, uh, scenarios, but it's also local testing and sort of sort of test pyramid abstractions of how many tests of this category do I need where? Like, yeah, there there are many aspects of uh, of that uh, picture. Yeah, so
0: love um, that, right? You know, like those are the things that you don't realize you need until you need them, where you get to the point where you're implementing that CICD pipeline and you're getting ready to automate everything. And all of a sudden you just, you just can't. <laughs> so I mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. love having that option there. Um, Dana, we've only got a couple minutes left and mm-hmm. I realize um, I didn't ask you. We we only have one question that we asked every guest that comes on the show and I forgot to ask it in the beginning and given just your vast background and all of your amazing contributions. I'm sure people would even be more curious to know, how'd you get into .NET? How'd you start writing C-sharp code? How'd you start getting uh, into opening pull requests to the AWS SDK? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Where'd that all come from?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, very good question. So originally I was doing mostly sort of PHP object Pascal and uh, in my studies, Java and actually during uh, my studies i uh, i would say that was my first like real exposure uh, to net i was essentially writing um, sort of um um together with an external customer, we were writing sort of a a client-server based application that was implementing, it's called APP6A, which is a NATO standard to define sort of military uh, movements and stuff like that. And we were sort of implementing a client-server application that was at that time, "Hmm, cough, cough, still using WCF uh, to sort of do the old (laughs) remoting. Uh, Yeah, and that was my first real exposure to sort of uh, doing .NET, C-sharp, I don't know what version it was uh, yeah but previously i was mostly tinkering with um delphi.net um uh, object pascal itself uh, not the delphi version java php Perl, uh, sort of uh, scripting stuff uh, that was sort of my exposure to to the programming world um
0: yeah wow and then where did the jump come in to or how'd you get inspired to uh, contribute to these Big impactful open source libraries. I'd say.
2: Well, actually, uh, before I joined Particular, um, uh, I actually uh, was working for a consultancy company, and they actively encouraged sort of, oh, sort of open sourcing parts of their 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 stacks and the things that was possible to open source. So I naturally was sort of exposed to that open source world. And then, a colleague of mine, he was maintaining machine specifications, so I took over the ReSharper plugin integration. That was madness. Uh, wow! <laughs> for, <laughs> and then I just I became exposed to this world, and it, it's funny enough. But actually, in my bio uh, for uh, for conferences, I write I have a hack a hack that switches off my router at midnight. And this actually comes from from uh, the open source contribution time at the beginning, where I just couldn't stop myself, and I was like going on on for two or three <laughs> in the morning. And at some point, I was like almost burning out. And I told myself, you have to fix something. And the hack was actually the internet switch off at midnight. Then um, <laughs> go to bed.
0: Uh, exactly. That's it. Even, no even, if, you, um, even yeah. if you just have kids and you don't contribute to open source, probably turn off the router at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a healthy practice.
2: Uh, well, some people are just better in sort of doing that and just switching off. But when I'm deep into things and tinkering about stuff, I have a hard time to say stop and
0: and let it go. So uh, yeah, that has pros it's and a, cons. I uh, <laughs> it's, it's a good problem to have. You know, you could be addicted to smoking or you could be addicted to open source. And I'm sure doctors <laughs> would recommend one over the other. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I'm, so I'm yeah, very... Genius very persistent in find a box. <laughs> I have found some very complicated um, box deep down in some third-party <laughs> systems, but uh, it takes a toll.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I'd love to have you on my team. I know if, if I ever see an open source from Daniel, then I'm probably just going to merge it because it's going to make my code faster. It's going to reduce <laughs> memory allocations and you get it all for free. Uh, thanks, Daniel. A fair,
2: a, fair, a fair portion of, um, uh, <laughs> of uh, sort of Maybe because I make a lot of mistakes, too. I just
0: want to <laughs> get that out there. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah. Love it. Well, Daniel, we got about two minutes left. Um, and we'd love to have you back on for round two where we can dive even deeper. You said we have, we have demos we didn't even get to show off today. <laughs> so we'll, yeah, we'll, sure, we'll coordinate sure. offline, get you back on. Um, but for yeah. folks who want to stay in touch, who want to keep up to date with your awesome pull requests, all your open source work. Uh, Where can they find you?
2: Uh, They can find me on Twitter at at Daniel Marbach. They can find me on LinkedIn under my name. They can find me on Mastodon, uh, on the Fossedon instance uh, under under my name. Uh, What else? Uh, Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much it. Yeah, I'm happy to to also answer any questions about messaging, distributed systems, AWS, Azure Service Bus messaging, if they have any questions, they should just hit me up on Twitter, Mastodon, LinkedIn, or send me an email to.
1: And my when, name, when is your dot. next conference? When is your next, next conference?
2: conference? And I'll be speaking at NDC Portal, where Brandon will also be, as I, as I heard. And
1: that's right. I will be
2: giving a workshop in .NET Warsaw, uh, Warsaw uh, the Developer Days Warsaw, and at the end of October, that's sort of my speaking engagement for this year. Uh,
0: yeah. Incredible. Well, thanks again, Daniel. And thank you for watching. Thanks for joining another episode of the .NET on AWS show. We'll be back in two weeks with another amazing guest. Until then, we'll see you later. Mm Bye-bye.